Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. My guest today is psychotherapist Vanessa Roper Cunningham. We will discuss collective trauma and she shares the importance of self-care, having an attitude of gratitude, and tips on how to deal with fear and anxiety. Let's get to the episode. So hi Vanessa, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, So my name is Vanessa, and um, I am a psychotherapist, which is just a fancy word for someone who works in the field of mental health. And my job is to bring awareness to mental issues, mental illness, self-awareness as to how to cope with certain issues, relationship issues, but overall to promote wellness and overall good health. And I love what I do. I enjoy talking with people one-on-one in groups, talking to families, and just helping people to navigate this very difficult world that affects our mental state and our emotional state. So that's what I do. And that's what I love to do. It's awesome. I, I've heard that saying, you know, if you love what you do, it's like you never work a day in your life. So good for you. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I believe it. It's a passion. It's really a passion to me. Fantastic. So I've invited you here today to talk about the topic of collective trauma. Mm-hmm. That seems very pertinent given the year that we've had. So I wonder if you could explain to us, please, what is collective trauma? Sure. Yeah, we have had a year and we are still in 2020 and we're wondering what 2021 is going to bring. But uh, collective trauma is something that I feel like a lot of people are now realizing that it's a thing and the effects that it has on us as a society, but also the effects it has on us personally in our homes, right? So, you know, whereas the the term trauma typically refers to the impact that traumatic incidents uh, will have on a person or a few people, collective trauma is the impact of a traumatic experience that affects and involves an entire group of people or communities or society at large. Uh, you collect When you think of collective trauma, it's very extraordinary in that it not only can bring distress or negative consequences to an individual, but in that it can also change the entire fabric of the community. And this is something that for years, psychologists have been researching how collective trauma can really change the trajectory of somebody's life mm-hmm. or even their physiological state, not to mention their mental state. So, you know, in fact, when we think of collective trauma, we're really thinking of how it impacts our relationships how it alters policies and government processes. And it also changes the way that society functions. Uh, it It even affects our social norms when we think about it. 
And if we can, you know, look back on some of the things that have happened in 2020, like we think of the Black, Indigenous, and the people of color population, we've had tremendous experience where people are being brutalized, people are being uh, killed on, on, on TV, and we are seeing these things and we're like, whoa. Right. This is not just happening outside. This is happening in my home. I'm seeing this on my television. My kids are seeing these things. And after we turn the TV off, it doesn't end there. Like that stays with us. It, with us. it leaves an impression on our mind. And eventually it starts to affect us in some way or the other. And then it not just only affects us, it affects the larger society and the policies and the norms. So that's what collective trauma is. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. That was a great definition. <laughs> it covered everything. So you talked about impacts on an individual, impacts on a society. Can you tell us what some of those impacts are? So if we're thinking of individual, we want to, you know, you want to think of your immediate mental, psychological state, even your overall well-being, your physical symptoms might manifest as well as a result of uh, collective trauma. Then if we go into families, uh, we probably see sometimes the negative effects it causes families to drift apart. It affects relationships. It, uh, it can also contribute to poor communication, a fear that will literally drive people to, fear can drive us to do so many things. It can either drive us to run away, which is like um, mechanism, uh, defense mechanism, the way we protect ourselves, could cause us to flee, it could cause us to freeze, or it can cause us to fight. And we see how in society, when we think of the collective adverse effects, the collective trauma, when we see these things or experience these things, we automatically want to respond to it. So if we're thinking about anti-Black racism, right, uh, we see how there is not just an issue with relationship issues or how um, Black people of color are treated, but we also see how it affects systems. We see the systemic part of it as well. So all these different things are connected and all these different things are affected. It's like it's intertwined. It's hard to separate it. So it's a ripple effect after a while. It goes not just individual families. It also goes into groups and the larger society. How would I know that I'm traumatized or collectively traumatized if I have a a son and I don't want him to dress a certain way when he goes outside because I feel like he's going to be targeted? If he looks a certain way, is, is that a sign of trauma? Could that be a sign of fear that you don't want your son to lose his life or to be stereotyped because of the color of his skin or what he's wearing? Yes, that's as a result of what you have experienced and what you have seen other people in your society experience. And out of fear, you're going to do whatever it takes not to fall victim of something of that sort. So yes, 
you are responding based off the collective issue that you've been seeing affecting your Black society. So yeah, I would say that's a response. I think this is a very common one. If we think about what happened on uh, 9-11, when the World Trade Center collapsed, the terrorist attack on the United States, that altered the entire world's way of traveling. Transportation changed after 9-11. Travel policies and procedures were enhanced and security got so tight. And although this traumatic incident occurred like maybe, what, 19 years ago? The society overall has changed in the travel policy. And there are certain things you can't bring on the airplane. There are certain words you can't say. There are certain things you can't wear. You now have to take your belt off, your shoes off, every single thing. This has affected the wider society, the whole world, out of one specific thing happening in, a, in one specific place. It, it has this ripple effect, like a nuclear bomb. No pun intended. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally, it, it's like it just goes out and out. And that's what collective trauma looks like. It changed the policy of every, of how the world runs and it shifts the way people think now. Wow. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a great example for a lot of people that can identify with like the, everyone can identify with that. Yeah. And then I see the distinction now between collective and individual trauma in the sense that maybe if I was in a car accident by myself and now I'm afraid to get behind the wheel that was kind of just me. So now I'm traumatized from that accident. Mm -hmm. But when we're all experiencing it at the same time, that's what makes it collective trauma. Yes, that that's that's the simplest way to put it. It's not just affecting you, but now it spreads beyond you and it's wider. So we have 9-11 as an example. We've got racism in general. Um, as an example. And I suppose COVID might be an example. Yes. COVID is one of the most relative examples of collective trauma when we think about it. It started in a specific area. Let's say that it started in a specific area. We all, the world watch as, uh, it's Wuhan, China, right? Yeah how they were affected by it and what they were doing to keep it under control and how the people there were affected by it. We saw the devastation. We saw families leaving their homes and all of that. And we watched it on our television in North America. And we were sitting there and we're looking. But at that same time, we were still fearful. We're like... The world is a small place and something that starts in one area can quickly spread to a larger area. And even before we got this many cases in North America, I want to say the response to what we were seeing happening in China was already affecting us, right? Immediately travel restrictions started to go in place People couldn't travel as frequently or as free as they wanted. And then when you look at it now, when I remember it was in March, I was running errands a Friday and the news broke that schools in Toronto will go on a shutdown right. as of Monday, just like that. It was overnight, and, really. 
It was literally overnight. And I'm like, whoa, I literally was not expecting this. And I got scared. I got scared. My family got scared. And because we got scared, we started to respond to that feeling of fear. Uh, I will say I was one of those people who were in that long line at the grocery store trying to get as much food as I could because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I'm thinking I am not the only one feeling this fear. I'm not the only one franticking. Everyone around me is doing something similar. That's collective trauma. And that's how one thing just not affect an individual, but affects the entire world. So COVID, COVID is still here. I feel like we are being re-traumatized day after day with COVID. And it's, it's very serious to the fact where we are now seeing that COVID, even if you do not contract coronavirus, you contract a psychological symptom of what it, a psychological symptom of coronavirus, which is fear and, and anxiety. And people say, oh, I'm not affected by it, or I'm not infected by it. I always say, are you truly not? Think about it. Are, are we truly not affected by it? And I want to say we are all affected by it, but we all deal with it differently. Some people deal with it in a very healthy way. And some people are still struggling to find what's the best way to respond to all of this. What are signs that we might be affected? I think a sign that we are affected by it are the mere fact that we now have to abide by certain precautions. We now have to all wear masks. We now have to ensure that we are um, practicing social distance. So yes, we are all affected by it. We are now encouraged to interact with only interacting close proximity with only people that are within our families. Right. So you can say you're not affected by it. You are affected by it. Because right now, the laws that govern the land that you live in stipulates that as a member of the society, you have to abide by these expectations. So, yeah, we're all affected by it. And that's a way you can know that you are affected by the collective um, adverse experiences. What about, and like another example you mentioned was racism, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, people of color. That, for COVID, we can say, yes, we're all affected. But for that, we're for racism, we're not all affected. True. How does that change the game? Do the signs or symptoms look any different? And how do we know if we're affected by, by racism? I think when it comes on to Black, Indigenous, people of color community, we are affected by points of anti-Black racism or racism in general, in that when we think about how some systems are set in place. Um, and, I, and I like to point out that sometimes when we look at racism from just one lens of racial profiling or um, injustice, like immediate injustice, police brutality, if we just look at it from that standpoint, sometimes we can say, well, I'm not affected by that or that that's not something that I need to worry about. But when we think about it, there is something called systemic racism. 
and systemic racism affects our policies. It affects uh, that the way in which uh, the society sees certain norms and the way in which society carry out certain expectations. When we think about our school system, I'll use that for example. In Canada, when we think of how students are streamlined into different programs, academic or trade skills program, the, the numbers show you that Black, Indigenous, people of color students are oftentimes streamlined into, I don't know what the term that, that they would use, but not into the ac- academic stream. Not, maybe not into gifted, but into something that's lower. Yeah. So, so, so if it's skill-based or a trade, but, but, but not encouraged to go into universities and to uh, pursue a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, um, not to say that the uh, BIPOC community isn't doing that. Oh yes, we are. We are making strides. We are, we are shaking this whole society because we are, we are a strong people and we we always want to achieve the best that there is. And not to say going to university is the best. You can do a trade, you can do a skill, but the opportunity should be equal for all. If you want to do a trade, if you want to do a skill, that should be your decision. Someone shouldn't be forcing you or guiding you to only that. You should be giving the same um, opportunities as other people um, who are not of the indigenous colored or black uh, population. So I wanna say when we think about BIPOC community, we have to think about the fact that it's not just interpersonal um, issues of racism we're talking about, we're talking about a whole system that even without somebody seeing the color of your skin, like the system is already set up for for this. So if you are black, indigenous, or a person of color, that, that's just how the system is set up. So that's how I would say that we can be affected by racism in a, in a larger sense. So what do we do about it? How do we cope with it so it doesn't consume us? That's a very good question. Like, how do we cope with it? And there are many ways to cope. And coping, I like to say that coping should be very specific to who you are, to your culture, uh, to your personality, and also to your economics, what what you can afford, right? So coping looks different for everyone. But But a general rule of thumb is that making sure that you are in tune with how your body is responding to all that's happening around you, right? Our bodies speak to us. Our bodies will tell us, you know what, Vanessa? You are tired right now, so you feel you feel very fatigued. You're irritable. Um, you're snapping at people for no apparent reason. You are tired. You need to get some rest. And rest is something that we all have access to, taking time to rest, um, making sure that we are maximizing on self-care. And self-care is something that a lot of us sometimes don't make a part of our daily routine because we feel like it's time consuming. But I like to say that self-care is being responsible. 
taking care of yourself should not be uh, an afterthought. It should be something that you put in perspective and you make sure that it's not sacrificed. Because if you sacrifice your self-care, you are literally setting up yourself for failure. And it might sound harsh, but I think it's very important for us to remember that we lead busy lives, right? We have families, we have expectations from work, we have our friends, um, we have things that we're pursuing. But if we're giving so much and not replenishing, after a while, your body is going to deplete and you won't be able to give 100% in anything that you're doing. And after a while, the brain, the body is just going to shut down. We're going to start having these diseases. Um, lack of self-care can literally lead not just to mental concerns like anxiety, fatigue, or depression. It can it can literally lead to physiological symptoms, heart attack, lung disease, headaches. Uh, you are more susceptible to the flu. You, you're asking yourself, why am I catching the flu four times for the year? Mm. A good place to start is, are you resting? Are you getting adequate rest? Are you eating properly? Are you taking part in healthy activities? Are you keeping active? So coping includes maintaining proper self-care. What is self-care? That's a question that a lot of people will ask. What is self-care? Self-care is taking care of you, making sure that you are um, attuning to the needs that you require to function. So self-care sometimes look like taking a few hours out of your week to um, relax, to connect with uh, a higher being, a spiritual being, God, um, whatever higher being you believe in, connecting with that being. Um, and also connecting with family and friends and being grateful, being gracious to yourself and also being grateful for what you have and not what you don't have. So you're shifting your focus from, I am grateful for the fact that I am alive today to go to work. Yeah. That's self-care. And, and, and an attitude of gratitude literally has a whole array of benefits. It will not just affect your mind where you are more positive, you have a more positive outlook, but it also contributes to you focusing on what you are able to do and you find yourself not overextending yourself in situations. And after a while, you realize that you have a reduction in hypertension. You have a reduction in diabetes and people will be like, oh, no, nothing goes like that. But it is actually proven that having an attitude of gratitude as a part of your self-care can definitely lead to a reduction in illnesses. It's almost like, I guess, glass half full as opposed to glass half empty as well. That's exactly what it is. You can, I guess, get upset that, oh, I don't know, my relatives are getting on my nerves for whatever reason. And 
just thinking, well, at least I have some family that <laughs> I can go to if there's a problem. They drive me crazy, but I have them. I have someone to call. That's exactly what it is. You mentioned that fear and anxiety are, are signs of, of collective trauma or symptoms of it. What are some good ways to tackle fear and anxiety? I mean, I guess, of course, it depends on what is making us afraid or anxious, but are there some general tips, things that we can consider? I would say when I think about what's really happening around us right now, I feel like fear is something that a lot of us are experiencing. We think about the fact that if you are living in the greater Toronto area as of Monday, uh, November 23rd, we are going into stage another lockdown, which means that travel is again restricted interaction with people outside of your household is restricted, that is definitely going to increase people's anxiety levels. It's going to increase fear. And when people are fearful, people can either react in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. So I think what I would say is that pay attention to how you're feeling. Do not try to bury that feeling or the thoughts that are coming up, pay attention to it. Because if you're feeling something, it means it's a valid feeling, right? So pay attention to that. Um, and then think about how you can keep yourself grounded. And when we talk about keeping yourself grounded is, pay, is making sure that you are staying present, that you are not just caught up with the thoughts, but you are also able to function without being overwhelmed by what you're thinking. So the first and the most simple thing I always say to people, when you feel that sense of fear starting to creep in, stop for a minute and take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out for at least a minute and to get your body regulated so the blood is flowing to the appropriate parts so that you don't pass out. Because you can actually be crippled with fear where you either just find yourself not functioning. Take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out, get the blood flowing. And then after that, you may want to think about, okay, what support do I need? Mm. Um, you know, what support do I need? Do I need to talk with someone that I trust about how I'm feeling, about how I'm going to be negatively affected if I can't go out? And talk about how your family will be affected. Find someone to talk to that you trust or get in touch with a professional that you can actually feel safe in sharing what's going on. And another thing to do as well is to monitor how much you are exposing yourself to your triggers. So if you know that the first thing you do in the morning when you get out of bed is to swipe up on your phone and go read the news, yeah. which after reading the news, you are in a state of panic, it simply means you may need to rearrange your morning routine. And instead of swiping up in the morning to read the news, it may mean to get out of bed, check in with your children, check in with your family, make breakfast, walk around, exercise, um, do a meditation, 
but something rather than directly going to your trigger. So what I've said to a lot of people who are struggling with the constant updates on the coronavirus is that limit yourself to the amount of news features that you are listening to. Schedule a time where you say, this is the only time I'm listening to the news. And outside of that, I'm doing everything else. We, we already know that there's a pandemic happening. We know what we need to do, what we don't need to do. So we don't need the news to remind us about this. We know this because a constant reminder is uh, causes us to be re-triggered day after day, hour by hour. So limit yourself to the amount of exposure you have to these news outlets and find, find ways to keep yourself occupied. I know it's snowing right now in, in, in Canada and a lot of people are cold and inside, but there are so many things that we can do inside. You know, um, if you find yourself that you have to be in quarantine for a couple of days or you, you're not going outside, this is a perfect time to find an area in your room that was cluttered and be like, I'm just going to clean this place out yeah. and just reorganize. And that, that doesn't only bring cl uh, a clean space physically to your, your, your home. It also brings a sense of peace and relief and achievement. You have spent two hours decluttering your home. After you're done, you're like, oh, wait, it's six o'clock. It's pretty much time to unwind. Right. So it's just about shifting our perspective. And you have a nicer space too at the end of it, more room because you've gotten rid of something. Exactly. Great example. What about anxiety? The same thing? Yeah, yeah. I would think that this could work for both feelings of anxiety. If you feel like you're feeling so anxious, if you feel like you're panicking, stop for a minute and take a deep breath. Uh, practice some uh, breathing exercise. You can go on YouTube and you can literally type in breathing exercises is free. They are so useful. You can do breathing exercises. You could do mindfulness ex exercises. You could do meditation, whatever works best for you. But at the end of the day, it's about us being intentional. None of these things will work if you don't try it and be intentional about it. And at the end of the day, we have to think about if I don't take care of my mental health? How are other areas of my life affected? How will my role as a spouse or my, my role as an employee, my role as a mom, my role as a family member, my role as somebody who is contributing to society, how will these things be affected if my mental health is depleted without getting the proper care? So I like to say there is no other health without mental health. And if you think about it, the, if you are not able to be emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, your physical health is going to be affected, your financial health, your educational health, your spiritual health will eventually be negatively affected. So they are all connected. So we, we have to just spend the time in taking care of our mental health. Beautifully said. 
as you listed off and you're, I believe you're entirely right. But for years, for whatever reason, we've always felt like our mental health is the thing we can put aside. Our physical health, that's important. We'll go to the doctor every year for a checkup, but our mental health, we just kind of shrug off. That's true. And like the fact now that medical doctors, and they've been doing it for years, but I feel like now medical doctors are encouraging their patients to, hey, check in with a professional. Um, It might be beneficial. You might see changes in your physical health if you address this issue that's happening as well. So it's now like we are all working together as one big family. And that's the overall umbrella of wellness and health. Everyone is working together, um, which is so important right now, especially when we think about the impact that collective trauma can have on society. Do you have any closing thoughts for us as we wrap up our discussion on collective trauma? Is there anything we haven't touched that the audience should know? Trauma in of itself can be very overwhelming. And sometimes we don't think of the ripple effects that it will have on us. And it leads to the point where we find ourselves with certain illnesses. Uh, We find ourselves having difficulties in various areas like our workload. Um, And then we also find ourselves feeling so drained. So, you know, I want to just say that collective trauma, while it affects the larger society, there are also things set in place to help people cope with this type of trauma. So you don't have to feel alone. You don't have to feel constantly overwhelmed, right? There are supports and there are resources that we all can tap into that will help us to manage uh, the situation that we are experiencing. So while it's collective trauma, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer or go through it individually. We can pull through collectively as a society. And I want to say that, you know, Canada does such a good job that it's very proactive when it thinks about the overall health of its people So there are resources out there that you can utilize, uh, get in touch with your community agencies and just ask them what services are available to help you to manage the difficulty of what's happening around us today. Thank you. You you said something that made me wonder, can I pass collective trauma on? Like, can trauma be passed from like mother to child or parent to child? Yes. And that's a whole different um, topic. That's a whole different podcast, Nikita. But, but, but the short answer is yes. These things can be passed on through generations. Um, I will give a brief example. When we think about like trauma, if if a mom, when, 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 a, when a woman is pregnant and if her environment is traumatic or chaotic, it can affect that unborn child in negative ways. We can see children, babies can be anxious. Babies can be irritable. And that's as a result of 
what they were exposed to while they were in the, the womb. So yes, this can be passed on. So we got to be very careful when we think about how these traumatic experiences not just affect us, but affect our children and our children, children. And one way to address that is to focus on how you deal with it. How you deal with it can determine how your offsprings will deal with it, how your larger family will deal with it. So if you don't deal with it, it probably means that you won't teach your children how to deal with it, right? Or if you don't know how to deal with it, it probably means that you won't be empowered or you won't be knowledgeable of how to deal with it. So you pass on something you don't know to your children, they pass it on. But the good thing about that, that cycle can be broken. Yes. That cycle can be broken. It can be interrupted. We've seen over and over where um, we have broken generational um, traumatic responses. You know, we don't necessarily respond to trauma the same way our parents or grandparents responded to it because that cycle has been broken. We have evolved and we have understood uh, healthier ways to deal with these things. And that can also be passed on. So, so, so all is not lost. All is not lost at all. That's, There's always a good side to yes. everything. <laughs> That's really powerful, Vanessa. I think if people didn't think that they needed to deal with it before, I hope that they rec- the, the alarm bells have gone off and they're like, okay, well, I can pass this on to my kids and my grandchildren. Like, I really need to sort this out. I really need to take time recognize what's going on in my mind, recognize what's going on in my body and do something about it so I can break the chain. Break the chain, break that cycle, yes. Thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for sharing your, your knowledge. In the beginning, you said that you're passionate about this and I felt it the whole time we were talking. I could see it in your face. I can hear it in your voice. It was really a pleasure having you today, Vanessa. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here and thank you so much for um, the invitation and the opportunity to just, um, you know, have this conversation because it's needed in our community. Thanks again, Vanessa. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Vanessa and will consider implementing some of the tips she shared. If you would like to connect with her, I have placed her contact information in the episode notes. Did you know that the Good Health Cafe also has a blog? Subscribe to our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com to get updates when new blogs or episodes are posted. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye!